What the hell's the name of this thing? The Ballsy Podcast. Hosted by the award-winning Evan Grant. Before I come across the table and rip Barry's throat out. Kevin Sherrington. I'm going to say to you what you said to me a while ago. Shut up. Barry Horn. I'm going to bring milk and cookies next week. Get ready for the most listened to sports podcast in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Evan Grant, and this is Ballsy. I'm Kevin Sherrington, and in this episode, we'll be talking about the Rangers. And I'm Barry Horn. To hear our other exciting additions, simply subscribe to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. You know we're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search Ballsy Podcast. That's Ballsy with a Z. So sit back, relax, that's relax with an X, and enjoy another edition of the Rangers Ballsy with a Z Podcast. And we're here for the first Rangers Podcast of 2017 and joined by the new Rangers TV analyst, C.J. Nitkowski. C.J., Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Evan. What's going on? Uh, you tell us. You tell Barry, Kevin, and us uh, <laughs> what it's like to be the new uh, TV analyst. You, you have, um, you're still going to do some Fox games, I believe, correct? Yes, I'll still do. It's not a definitive number. We haven't worked it out, but probably somewhere between 8 and 12 uh, on Saturdays. But the Rangers are my priority. Uh, and then, you know, John Blake was actually almost pushed me on it a little bit. He said he liked the idea of me still doing some national things as well. Don't and get so used I'll to John Blake saying nice things. Let's just be clear here. <laughs> I've known him for a long time, so he's always been good to me. And uh, You're the one. like that would be a good fit for them, I guess. It might be just There's me. always somebody but, that, uh, yeah. that Blake likes. And, we, you know, I know you've always introduced yourself as the New York Mets all-time ERA leader, but here we're going to have to introduce you as the guy who – is tied for the record for fewest home runs allowed by a Texas Rangers pitcher. Congratulations. And, I mean. And welcome aboard. Well, you mi- That's you. You said minimum 20 innings, right? Yeah, minimum of 20 yeah, innings. We're not going to talk about the walks. We won't talk about the walks. We won't talk about that. All right. But I love skewing stuff <laughs> into my favor. So uh, what drew you to doing to doing a team versus staying on the network and, and being uh, a guy who could move around? Yeah, well, team always interests me. It was it was just not something I thought would be happening now. And not that I would ever get to pick and choose what I want to do either. Um, but uh, the idea of kind of getting locked in uh, to one market, digging in on one team consistently, and you know, kind of becoming part of a community as well, and, and hopefully you know, getting to that point where you're a recognizable voice that is associated with the team, uh, there's a strong draw to that. Uh, I loved what I was doing at FS1, and I still had another year uh, left on my contract with them, but they were very good about uh, letting me pursue this opportunity once it opened up. I mean, uh, you know, I'm not going to tell you that, that all 30 markets would have been a draw, and that would have been something that would have persuaded me to walk away from a national job at the Rangers, without a doubt, uh, were absolutely one of them. And so when the opportunity came up and they showed some interest, I had talked to my bosses at FS1 um, about taking on some games. I actually thought it was going to be a little bit smaller, um, but they said they would. You know, they wanted around that 100 number, which means I'd have to walk away from all the studio that I was doing with FS1. Uh, but I was fine with it. I mean, it's the right market. Uh, there are a handful of really good, strong markets that are draws for me, uh, and the Rangers are one of them, and, and they, they just don't come up that often. And so when one comes up, uh, you throw your hat in the ring and you see what happens, and uh, we just got very fortunate that they decided they uh, they wanted me to come on next year. But you, you, when you throw a hat in the ring, it's like a dozen. <laughs> That's a good point. So, yeah, and they come from all parts of the world, too, but yes. Um, it's, it's a very good point, yeah. CJ, when you come in here, you're, you're going to be almost wearing three hats. You're going to do a little play-by-play, I understand. 
you're going to be working in a two-man booth and a three-man booth, correct? Or all three of those? Uh, I don't know if there's going to be any three. I don't think, as far as I know, and it doesn't matter to me, whatever we do, I'm totally on board with. I don't know if we're going to do any three-man. I wasn't told that we were going to. Um, but it's fine. If we do it that way, I'd be more than happy okay. to do it. But it's, you, but have, you done play by pl- have you done play-by-play before? Very limited. And so this will be the part that I'm going to beg and plead uh, with Rangers fans to just give me a little bit of a leash. Um, I did some uh, Mets games a couple of years ago on radio, and uh, pretty much all outside of the Yankees and maybe a couple of others, um, you have to do a couple of innings of play-by-play if you're going to be the analyst on radio. And so I did a couple innings with Howie Rose and Josh Lewin, uh, and they were both very encouraging. And Howie had told me, this is back in 2013, I believe, or 14, and he said, he goes, you can absolutely do play-by-play. You've got to work at it. And he's like, I wouldn't lie to you and just tell you that. Uh, but get your reps in, and you'll, you'll be able to get to the point where you can do play-by-play, uh, which was encouraging. And so then I asked, uh, FS1 for a while, last couple of years, I, you know, I kind of begged them and had to ask and ask and ask. I said, give me your worst game. I don't care what game it is, just give me your absolute worst game. I, I want to get this kind of under my belt and see if I can do it. And uh, they let me do play-by-play last year. I did a game with Eric Carroll on a Monday night, um, and they held true to my request. It was the Diamondbacks and the Padres in September on a Monday. Um, and and I, I enjoyed it. And without a doubt, I'm going to have some work to do. I'll do a couple in spring training. Uh, it may be a little bit unsettling early on. Um, I just ask people to give me a little, give me a little bit of a leash, and know that I'll be working hard to uh, to make it the best I possibly what is, can. Don't don't worry, Barry will give you at least three innings Two, before three he starts ripping you. What is the difference? Uh, there's a major difference, of course, between working a national game for FS1 or FS2 or FS37 or doing a Ranger game. You, you have to take a different approach when when you're working the home team, don't you? Uh, the local so. broadcast. I mean, yeah, and I don't have a problem with it. You know, I, I get I see some people say, you know, get upset with certain guys. Say, well, this guy's too much of a homer. Well, you, you kind of have to be. I mean, listen. At the end of the day, for me, right. this job is about selling the product and getting people interested in watching the game and watching the team. And yeah, there's bad things are going to happen, and there's going to be bad games over the course of the season. And you want to keep your credibility intact, but at the same time, uh, you you have a rooting interest in the team because you want people to watch and you want the guys on the field uh, to succeed. So. That's going to be interesting for me because, you know, I, I really do believe, and maybe we all believe this, and it's not true, but I do believe um, that I'm about as unbiased as it gets. Because, you know, up to this point in my career, I, I really could care less who won any single game. You know, I grew up a Yankee fan, but I tell people all the time, the first time you go into Yankee Stadium and get your butt kicked, you're not a Yankee fan anymore. And it's kind of how it works. And so for me, I really had no rooting interest for any team, um, you know, for most of my career and certainly now as a broadcaster. So that changes a little bit. And, uh, you know, I'm curious to see how it's going to go for me. I've talked to a couple different guys who have been down the same path and trying to figure out that balance. And, like I said, I doubt it will be perfect, uh, but I'll be working toward trying to get there. And, listen, what I've heard of you mostly has been on the radio and and doing the XM show and and those – those interactions and your analysis has been has been really good. Really, um, I, I don't think af- afraid at all to uh, offer some critique when you need to. Uh, what's going to be the approach when it comes to you know you are now going to be amount what amounts to a full time employee of the Rangers? How do you how do you look at offering analysis that may occasionally border on on criticism? Yeah, and I think really even the way that I look at things in general. Um, but what I found myself doing, even on national games, you know, and obviously, again, it doesn't matter. I don't work for the team. It's easy to scream and yell and, and um, you know, and be critical of people. We see that all the time. And some people, you know, try to make a living that way and producers say they want to see that. That's not me. It's just not my personality anyway. And so a lot of times I use phrases like, 
Uh, let's just, you know, you know, use Elvis as an example, and he makes a bad play, and I may say something like, well, Elvis would be the first one to tell you he probably should have made that play. You know, there's a way to say, well, okay, yes, you point out the mistake, people that are watching it um, understand that there was a mistake made. I don't think there's any real value in burying a guy and piling on, and even when there's mental mistakes. I mean, I think it's important to point him out. I think that's where former players have a lot to offer because they understand what it's like to be there in that position and knowing at least how a guy should be thinking, and if it goes in a different direction, I think it's okay to point that out. Um, and I remember this, too. You know, On the other side, from playing, the players are always going to be a little sensitive um, to what is said in the broadcast. You guys have, I'm sure, experienced it as well, because we sit in a much more objective chair, and I do now that I'm not playing anymore. But when you have the uniform on, uh, you kind of, you know, you get a, can be a little sensitive. Certain guys well, can. I, I remember being in that spot. So uh, I, I try to balance it the best I can, but I think pointing out mistakes or talking about mistakes is one thing. Uh, the way that you say it, the tone, and the words that you use, uh, as long as it never becomes personal or vindictive, which I never understand when guys are in a booth uh, and that becomes the situation, especially for a home team. I just I never get it. I don't understand it. Um, and I just don't think that's part of the job. Well, let's face it, CJ. If, if you're, if you're critical of somebody the player is not going to hear it when you're critical so it's going to be their wife their friend their cousin their best friend mm-hmm. their, who, who say it. and sometimes things get lost in the translation or also. their teammate because there are guys who are not playing in yep. the game who will be back in the clubhouse watching the game with the sound of, oh yeah uh and, and, and we'll we'll find out yeah okay yeah oh, so I, that, and that's why i think it's important the tone is really important you know and and an honest person will tell you i messed up today and we don't need to harp on it or whatever it may be um, but I still think, you know, you, you have to keep your credibility. That's why so there's going to be that balance in there somewhere. And uh, I hope that, it, you know, I, 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 like I said, I wish it would be perfect every single time. It's probably not going to be, and, and I may take somebody off along the way, but I will tell you this, and, um, you know, I'll always be accountable to it. And so if a player was upset with something I said or John comes to me and tells me a guy's upset, I'd be more than happy to talk to him about it. And if I feel like I overdid it and I've overstepped the boundary and took it too far because for whatever reason I was in a bad mood that day or I saw it the wrong way, whatever it may be, I'll be the first to stand up and apologize for it, too, and point out that I was wrong. Do you and Dave Raymond plan to do any practice games uh, this in spring training? We'll have spring. So I, I have eight games in spring training uh, on the schedule right now. Two of those will be play-by-play. I've worked with Dave before. So uh-huh. Dave and I uh, worked together at MLB.com. We did some amateur games together. We've done um, some of the programs that MLB.com used to do. They don't do nearly as much uh, with some of the different shows and things that they have done. So I've known Dave for, I guess, four or five years now. Uh, I'm a huge Dave Raymond fan, so chemistry for me is, is a non-issue. And he, you know, even for me, like you know, what my job was before and still will be when I do those national games for Fox, I'm working with somebody else almost every week. And a lot of people struggle with that, but it really hasn't been a problem for me. You know, I might go in and and, and do a Phillies game with, with Tom McCarthy out of nowhere, like I mentioned, go in and do a you know a couple of uh, Mets games, you know, with guys that I have never worked with before, never met before. Um, you know, did a Reds game just say with Tom Brennan. Like first time I met him, we just do a game. Brian Anderson in Milwaukee, and it's never been an issue for me. Um, you pick up on it pretty quick. I think uh, you know, for some guys, maybe trying to find the flow can be a little bit of an issue. But I really, I really haven't had a problem with that so far in my career. All right, CJ, you spent in, in 2002. You're one of the two years you spent with the Rangers. You, I think you pitched in 12 games for the club that year. You, you did, you did appear in in a handful of games with with Pudge Rodriguez as a teammate and. Uh, at this point in time next week, we will be on the verge of finding out whether or not he makes the Hall of Fame as a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, what's your view on, on Pudge and the Hall of Fame? I'm his Hall of Famer. I don't, I don't think the numbers tell us anything else but that. And I'd be surprised if he doesn't get I haven't looked recently as far as uh, where Ryan is and, and the ballots that have been cast in public so far, but they seem like 
He's at 80. Strong. As of this morning, he was at uh, 80.3%. And and with the pollsters that I've talked to, the guys who do the, the, the some of this exit uh, polling, he's... And tell us what you have to be, Evan. You've got to be at 75%. Yeah, 75%. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah. most of the guys... Yeah, and, and, yeah, a lot of times that drops a little bit, right, from Ryan. On average, the yes. public ballot, it's not exact science, but sometimes they seem to drop around about 4 to 6%. Uh, a lot of times, sometimes worse, sometimes less. Uh, but he's all of famer. I mean, I mean, Johnny Bench, you know, Mike Piazza, Pudge Rodriguez. I mean, I think, you know, I, I'm not a great historian. I don't claim to be. I don't pretend to be. Um, but I don't, this, am I missing anybody that should not, that's not on the, you know, in the top three? Um, Pudge Rodriguez is that guy. So for me, it's, it's a no-brainer uh, that he's a Hall of Famer. I, I, I think, you know, I, to pick Nitz here, Nitkowski. Uh-huh. Uh, You've been waiting all well, day. Yeah. I just I just dropped that one in there, but I, I think the only argument anybody would have there would be Pudge Bench, maybe Barra over Piazza. Piazza was a great hitter, mm-hmm. but I think you yeah. know I talked to Larusa last week and and and, and talked to Sosha this week, and, and and both of those guys basically look. He was a great hitter. Um, mm-hmm. He played catcher because that's great where on. that's where he was. But but yeah. those guys. Are you talking I, about Piazza or Pudge? Piazza. Piazza. Uh, oh yeah, and I threw to Mike. I had I was with Mike. It was the Mets too, so I have experienced both of those guys as catchers. And you're absolutely right, and, and everybody knows that nobody runs. From CJ, that. who did you not throw to? Who did you not? Uh, throw that's a good group? question. You know, my first catcher I ever had in the big leagues was Benito Santiago. Wow, which was kind of fun. So my my range goes from there, and then finished with you know Juan Santano's. I guess he's I don't know how old he is. He's pretty young still. He just signed just signed a minor league deal with somebody. But towards the end, I still I was pitching in 2012, and even played winter ball. Uh, through my last pitch in January of 2013. So I got to connect a little bit, um, even when I was still, I guess I was 39 years old at the time, uh, and still got to throw to a couple of guys. So there's, there's a nice string there. But, you know, Brian Osmus was a guy that I threw a lot to, um, and, and seeing him manage now. But I've been fortunate to kind of, you know, get kind of a little piece and a look of everybody. I mean, I didn't like that part of my career when I was going through it. The idea of basically changing teams almost every, every year, every couple of years wasn't maybe the most pleasant. It certainly wasn't easy. Uh, my family, but what I'm realizing now, as I look back, and I'm in this business, and you start counting it up and saying, okay, over a thousand teammates and you know 40 different managers, it really shaped the way that I look at the game, um, and hearing all those different opinions, and I think it gives me a huge advantage uh, in this business now, as opposed to guys, and it's not a knock on them, but you get guys that maybe you know, had really nice, consistent careers, which I'd be envious of, but maybe only played for one or two teams and a couple of managers, and so they experienced the game a little bit different. Uh, than I did. Not to mention the number of beat writers you went through, but um, that's a, that's a lot. Uh, here's here's the one thing that is holding Pudge down is is the specter of potential steroid use, and the, it's the only thing that's holding. Him down. It's the only thing. Well, I well the I, first, I, the I first have, ballot thing. I have talked to a couple of guys who have given me what I think are ridiculous explanations. One was that there was no wow factor with Pudge that he wouldn't take his grandkids to see Pudge. And somebody else who who spent most of his career in the National League that just didn't see didn't see him very much. The, the wow. but but clearly it's the steroid thing and coming from an allegation in Jose Canseco's book that that he injected Pudge and the only other evidence is that Pudge was was bigger and got skinnier. You know, in in the year between oh four and oh five, I think he lost thirty pounds, and that was when steroid uh, penalties went into effect. I, I'm not asking you. If you ever saw Pudge inject steroids or anything like that, I just want to get your take on where the steroid argument falls in terms of, of Hall of Fame voting. Yeah, so in regards to him, there's not enough there. And I think that, for me, it's a, it, 
shouldn't even be considered. You know, there are certain guys without a doubt. Manny Ramirez has a couple of positive tests. Right. We know that he used PEDs. In my opinion, he shouldn't get a single vote. And I get frustrated by it uh, because I think about uh, the guys from my era. Like, I pitched right through pretty much. You know, 95 to 05 was my big league time, right through the PED era. Right. And watch guys struggle to keep their head above water who weren't taking and watching other teammates and opponents take it. And then when I start seeing votes for guys that we know 100% uh, positive took, uh, to see somebody vote for them is an absolute slap in the face to the rest of the generation. And the excuse that you know Bud Selig is now in the Hall of Fame and a 16-member committee put him in, that that justifies now voting for PED users to me is absurd. So I really struggle with that, the obvious one. Then you have your secondary group and kind of what you're talking about with you know Jose Canseco uh, accusation or even the guys that were on the list of, what, 104 um, that the New York Times apparently leaked with David Ortiz and Sammy Sosa. I struggle with that as well. I right. mean... That one's a little bit tougher, and I think it takes a little bit more time. It's not as black and white, uh, but I do think you have to dig in on the guys that were on the list a little bit. And then you have kind of the Bonds Clemens situation where, you know what, we don't have hard evidence, but I think most of us feel pretty good saying, yeah, probably. There's a really, really good chance based on everything that happened, they just never got convicted. No positive test and never got convicted. And, and that those two are probably more the dicier ones we've seen now that their votes are going up. And I have a lot of times I remove myself from the conversation because. You know, I worked out with Roger and Brian McNamee and Andy Pettit for seven years in the off-seasons when I was living in Houston. And I never saw anything. Right. Uh, no, nobody's ever told anything. But kind of seeing how everything went down afterwards, I have my opinions. And so I have a hard time remaining objective um, in, the, in the Roger Clemens situation. Uh, but I think it's, it's got to be more black and white. Like the, the Jeff Bagwell stuff to me is absurd. Like right. It's absurd that it has taken this long for him to get into Hall of Fame. I, I, I get the idea, and I play with him too. I get the idea of you know, speculation and looking at a guy and, his size and injuries and everything else that you want to go through, but you can't do it. It's just, it's speculation. It's not fair. And uh, so I hate that as much as I hate guys that actually tested positive getting votes. Let me ask you this, CJ, as a former player, and, and I'm interested in your opinion about this, because one of my, you know, it was written by some of my colleagues even that, uh, that listen, if these guys wanted to use these uh, substances, let them. You know, you know, let them do it. And I thought, well, first, besides the fact that they are risking damage to their body, and it's a bad example to young people, and all those kind of things. To me, it was the worst part about it was what it what it did to other baseball players. It's like, man, I, I got to do this just to keep up with these guys. You know, I, I'm yeah. not I'm not gonna be able to hang in the game because if everybody else is doing it. And, and to me, that was the, the real issue. But let's look at a guy like like Barry Bonds, who I believe was a three time MVP before one, anyone even suspected him of using it. And, of course, he did. I mean, his head grew. Everything grew. It was, it was ridiculous. He became, you know, the you – know, the, He was a different human being. Yes, he was a different human being. Yeah. So, uh, so as far as his Hall of Fame about him, to, to you, does the fact that he used and obviously became so big and then became a different player, he, you know, he surpassed everything and became the, had the greatest numbers in the history of the game – uh, does that mean that he that he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame when you take into consideration that maybe he gets in on what he did before he started using? Yeah, so I always struggle with that one because, you know, this is what we know about people, and especially in this situation. We're only going to admit what we have to admit to. And so when we start to say and have that conversation of, well, he was a Hall of Famer before, and I get it, I understand it's a legitimate question, but I just I shoot that down right away as a no because we don't know for sure. You know, we have an idea maybe – uh, based on what you saw, production, body size, all of that, but we're still guessing. And it's a situation, right, with Alex Rodriguez, right? I mean, you're going to lie until you can't lie anymore, right? We saw it with him. You're going to sit there and, you know, you're not going to admit to anything. A lot of people kind of have the same questions about him, right? But you don't know. 
you have no you don't know when he started, and you're not going to you know if you said all of a sudden you realize you have to admit that you used in 2002 because all the evidence is there, you're not going to raise your hand and go, oh yeah, by the way, in '97 I also did you know a couple of cycles. Like it's just it's not going to happen, and so uh, that's why I struggle with that argument. I'm not saying it's you know completely unfair, uh, but I I don't go there. I shoot it down for myself and my own opinion. Uh, right away because you just never know and nobody's going to admit anything that they don't have to. But plus, you, you don't always know. I mean, when Rafael Palmero was uh, tested positive, uh, to me that was shocking. You look at Rafael Palmero mm-hmm. on a clubhouse, this is this is not Barry Bonds, this is not Mark McGuire. He's not a huge guy. I, 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 yep. I didn't see that coming at all. And, and there are guys... A lot of guys surprised. Yeah. yeah. There were a lot of surprises in there along the way, I'll be honest, even for me. You know, yeah. along, and you got to remember too, so you have different kinds of steroids you had you know, the Ben Johnson steroids, which, um, you know, the ones that don't necessarily get you huge, but are going to be more fast twitch, and those guys are not going to get big. And you have the, the oil-based steroids, and these are the conversations that were happening in the late 90s where you see guys just blow up uh, and get humongous. And then, of course, HGH is not going to change necessarily the way you're going to look. You're going to look younger, and you're going to feel really good, but people are probably not uh, going to pick up on that. So even body size, that's why I say body size in itself is not, uh, you know, it's a clue, but it's not the only clue. And I'll tell you this, too. Like you bring up Rafi. It's you know, a guy that I faced that I struggled with. Uh, took me deep a few times. The other thing that, for me that goes into this conversation, which kind of ticks me off when I see Manny Ramirez and other guys getting votes, is that not only did they have a physical advantage, but they had a mental advantage as well. I mean, this game is so difficult, uh, especially for pitchers. You're on the mat. you got a lot of time to think. I mean, we all do. We all have a lot of time to think. And if you're like me and other guys that were like me, you're sitting there, you're, you're battling, you're trying to stay in the game, you're trying to keep your head above water and you're stepping on the mound and I'm facing a guy like him, well, he's in the box of the mental advantage already. He already knows he's plus one on me just because of where he is, uh, say from a PED standpoint, plus he's a really good player, right? It, it could be annoying, and it's, it it's really bothers me knowing that, not just because, you know, I knew I was, when I was facing guys who were on steroids, it didn't bother me so much from the physical standpoint as much as it did from the mental standpoint, knowing that that was an area where I struggled, uh, and they stepped in with, with utter confidence, knowing how good they were and knowing what they had in their bodies. All right, um, we are going to, CJ, we're going to let you run. We're trying to get a hold of Billy Ripken today uh, since he was also a teammate and, and he's got some uh, some MLB analyst uh, stuff as well to offer. And um, we'll just expect pretty much to have you on every week from here on out. Um, <laughs> for, for CJ to be back on, he's got to be a little more opinionated. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, listen, con- congratulations, man. I look forward to sitting down with you when you get here and um, – uh, I, are you, are you going to take him to dinner? I, I will if you want. Like I'll you took Kevin to, to dinner the other night and left me out. Absolutely. Okay. Um, I oh, think. Nice. Yeah, I'll be. I'll be in for fan fest. You'll be I'm in for fan fest. Twenty four hours. Right. Yeah, okay. I'm coming in, but just that Friday and back out Sunday or Saturday. Well, then, uh, uh, like whether it's spring training or whatever, I'll be happy to take you out uh, for for dinner if you'd like. So. I um, appreciate. It. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it. I just eat with my hands. Don't worry about that. Um, That's right. That's and, what barbecue's and, for. <laughs> We'll catch you later, man. Take care. Be well. All right. Take it easy, guys. Thanks for having me. Take Thank care. you. Our second guest today, Billy Ripkin of MLB Network. And the MLB Network is going to exclusively uh, reveal the Hall of Fame election results on January 18th at 5 p.m. Central Time. So if you want to tune in for the uh, very first word on whether or not Yvonne Rodriguez makes the Hall of Fame on his first ballot... MLB Network is the place to be. You guys got that? Kevin, Barry? Yeah, got okay. it. Thanks. Billy, thank you for joining us. No problem, guys. What's going on today? Uh, well, we're all about the Hall of Fame today. Um, we are uh, we're sitting here tracking 
I'm tracking Pudge's vote totals. I'm tracking what the quote-unquote exit pollers are, are, are telling me, and uh, it looks like it's going to be extremely close. You were a teammate of his for three seasons and played against him. I, I just wanted to get your opinion on, on this guy as a potential Hall of Famer. Let's be careful about exit polls. I think that happened last November. <laughs> yeah. People were all excellent into this. point. Excellent. Another point, point along that the, the presidential election is this not the second most talked about national uh, election when it comes to the Hall of Fame and how things work. And I think that's just a tribute to the fact that there's more passion that goes on than baseball than the other major sports in their Hall of Fames because none of this goes on in the other uh, uh, sport categories. But I go back to when Pudge came into the big leagues. And I don't know if it was his first game in the big leagues or one of his first games in the big leagues. When he came up, we still were playing in Memorial Stadium as the Orioles. Right. And I remember this kid that came in to catch. And I don't remember the hitter or runners on base for us at the time, but Ball was put in play. Runners were running around the bases. There was a partial kind of play at the plate. The ball got away from Pudge, went all the way to the backstop, furthest away from us near the on-deck circle. So Memorial Stadium, we were in the third-base dugout, not where Camden Yards, the Orioles, are in the first-base dugout, but we used to be in the third-base dugout. The ball goes across the field to the first-base on-deck circle. Batter runner that hit the ball was trying to go from second to third base in this kind of, you know, run around the bases. And this young kid sprints back to the mound because whoever was pitching for Texas, by the way, the pitcher didn't back up properly. Just thought to throw that one in the mix. Pudge runs back there, picks the ball up, stands straight up, almost flat-footed, and threw this absolute laser from the on-deck circle near the front row railing across the field to third base and threw out said B batter runner and I remember all of us in the dugout just gasp, collectively gasp at what we just saw. And here we are, a group of guys that are in the big leagues ourselves, and we saw something that I don't think we've ever seen before. So that was his uh, initial uh, break-in into the big leagues when we saw him as a young kid coming in. So we knew he was going to do something special in his career. And what you saw as a teammate, what you saw later on, listen, you came up in the Orioles organization. You were around a guy who, well, around two guys who kind of defined their positions. And your brother as a shortstop and, uh, you know, has some exposure to Brooks, who I think is considered the all-time icon at third base, basically because of his fielding. Does Pudge fit that category as a catcher? Well, I think if you're if you're looking at a guy um, that specifically did things that other guys didn't do, and that's kind of a lot of ways when I eyeball test the the Hall of Famers or the debate on the Hall of Famers, uh, we can come up with every algorithm and creative way to try to make something look different. But I think for someone that actually was in the mix and saw some guys, there were separators, and Pudge as a player separated himself, and I think there was a couple-year period when he was down in Texas that he may have been the best player in the game, and that was when there were some pretty good players in the game, one being Griffey Jr., who was a no-doubt slam-dunk Hall of Famer first ballot, but you remember being in Texas, 
And the thing that Pudge did was he controlled the running game. Everybody knows it. And, and most people think that that just meant that people didn't steal bases off of him. And that is true. They didn't. But what it also did is when runners got on first base, a base hit to right field almost never resulted in a guy going first to third because the said runner on first base would never get a secondary lead because he was afraid of getting picked off. The ground ball to shortstop in the hole made my job as playing second base a couple times playing with Pudge much easier because you knew the guy wasn't getting a secondary lead off first base, so the guy wasn't coming down getting in your drawers um, when you were turning a double play. So he really made teams a station-to-station running the bases team and I, I believe the one year where Kenny Lofton had a billion stolen bases, I'm not so sure he had one against Pudge that year. And if he did, it might have been one or two. But there were times when there were pitchers that you probably could run on that Kenny chose not to right? because he didn't want to get thrown out. So the stuff that Pudge did behind home plate um, in controlling the other team's uh, aggression on the base pass was something like I've never seen with any other catcher I played with. I, I just want to add, you know, to, to back up what you said, I, I had conversations with both Tony LaRussa and Mike Sosha over the last week, and, and both those guys managed really as many games against Pudge as, as any manager. Maybe Pinello was up there with that group. But but both of those guys said the same thing, that you in LaRussa's mind there was no small ball when you came in to play a Rangers team with Pudge behind the plate because you weren't going to get those secondary leads. You weren't going to create runs. And Sosha said the, the, the same exact thing, that uh, it made the double plays easier to turn for the middle infielders, uh, that guys weren't going to take the extra base, that he was just so uh, all-encompassing in every aspect of the running game, not just with that laser to second base, but in the way that he could throw behind guys, the way he, the way he could... He could um, uh, make sure that a guy got a shorter lead, that it did change the dynamic of the game. We talk about NFL guys. You know, the, for me, we talk about Jerry Rice kind of transcending the position of wide receiver. Dion transcending the position of cornerback, Lawrence Taylor, linebacker. I look at Pudge in that regard as well as a defensive catcher who also was a pretty good offensive player. Yeah, and I'm so glad that those two managers agreed with me. It's not that I'm agreeing with them. Um, I probably said it before they did. Um, but anyway, <laughs> you know, the funny thing about that, too, is I, I can still remember one of the first times I went over and played any first base. And it was in the Texas Rangers uniform. And I remember, God, it might have been um, the first uh, exhibition game that we played in the new ballpark in Arlington, '94, because mm-hmm. we did play an exhibition game before opening day, right? I'm uh, pretty sure we did. I think so. And I think I picked somebody up at first base, and I remember the runner coming down to first base after a base on balls, a walk, and the first base coach before he got to the 45 foot mark said, "Don't get a big secondary lead," and I'm sitting there almost chuckling to myself how this thing plays out because then it re- registered to me. All those things that we talked about, about how he controlled uh, the game. And, and to your last point, when you're talking about a pretty good offensive player, yeah, I would say so. And the fact that he could do things at home plate, um, hit a few balls out of the ballpark, hit the ball up the gap, he ran well, he would score from second base on base hits that some other guys wouldn't, that weren't catchers. 
So when you talk about someone and put them in the conversation, you know, is Jerry Rice one of the best wide receivers of all time? Yes. Is Deion Sanders one of the best corners in the game of all time? The answer is yes. Pudge put himself, I think, in that category of we didn't see anything like that. And and you can go back. Now, I never got to see Johnny Bench play, and I'll never want to argue um, with with the crossover of the time frames that people played. Right. But some of the old, old schoolers would say, well, he doesn't throw as good as Johnny Bench. And I go, well, I can't make that determination, but I could probably say I can't fathom Johnny throwing better than Pudge. I could put him equal because I, I think I could see that. But Pudge, when he threw the ball to second base, I don't ever remember any of his throws to second base uh, being two-seam or running. It seemed every one of his throws were straight and pure, and it was pure petrol uh, coming down to second base. I cannot remember a throw that tailed up the line when I was covering second base on anybody else. And to take that one step further, I think I remember one of the spring training games when I first went down to Texas I had coverage on a steal, a spring training game, meaningless spring training game early on. I had coverage. Uh, pitcher picks up his foot. I looked to see the runner at first base. I knew he had a great jump. I'm covering second base, really going through the motions, going to myself, why am I covering second base? And catch, tag him out, and I go, oh, that's why I'm covering second base. There was no way in the world he was going to throw that dude out. And then he proved me wrong in a matter of, what, 1.8 seconds? That's, that's the time, yeah. To second base, and it was pretty impressive. Before before Evan changes the subject, and I know he's going to do it, I just want to make sure you are unequivocally voting, if you had a vote, for Pudge first ballot, correct? Um, well, I didn't say that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Would you? We're, we're putting words in your mouth. Now, if you well, had a vote, is he your first ballot Hall of Famer for you? Um, that's a tough one for me to answer because I don't have one. And, and I know that you could say, well, just put yourself in that shoes right. to do it. Look, there, there, there were some rumors that swirled around Pudge. Okay. And I don't think there's any question about that. But there's also nothing that was proven with any said rumor. Right. Um, what I'm going to say is I think guys who vote for him um, have the right to say nothing was proven. I also think that there are guys that won't vote for him that if they are consistent and they have conviction in their opinion of saying there's too much going on right there for me to actually say that was all natural and pure, I'm not going to do it. And I'm okay with that set as well. Um, I would lean more towards saying that uh, there's really nothing pointing directly at him. And me being there and playing with the guy and seeing what he did uh, firsthand as far as all the attributes he has of being a Hall of Famer, um, I would say, yeah, I'm leaning more towards that. If there were zero rumors, then this the thing is a slam dunk, right. you put it away. Because it, it, it's, it's not even close on what he did. But I'm okay with people who, who reserve the right to say, I have an opinion, it, it doesn't feel kosher to me, so I'm not going to do it. I'm okay with both sides of this thing. You know, there, there there are two things on on this on on Pudge that connect him to the steroid era, and one is the Jose Canseco allegations. The the, the two is 
how Pudge's body appeared to shrink between 04 and 05. Uh, you can make what you want of, of either of those. But you were in the clubhouse in 93 and 94 when, when Canseco was a part of this team. What was that atmosphere like in terms of was there any kind of – was there anything more than just general suspicion? Was there conversation about, about steroid use? What was it like? Um, look, Evan, I was always in a situation where I was so worried about myself um, because here I was half my career going into spring trainings and making clubs as a non-rostered invitee to really not worry about anybody else. Right. Um, now, when you checked out, you know, Consego, I don't think there's any question. He'll tell you. Right. Um, you know, he, he was in on it and, and doing some things. And, uh, you know, there's, there's something to be said for him believing in him and believing what he does, and there's something to be said for not. Uh, and and it's, it's some of those things that no one will ever know uh, what necessarily happened. You could look at Jose, though, and there were some changes with him, and he would kind of like just wink at you. And you say, okay, well, there, there's something. But anybody else, I was really never, you know, eyeballing them up and, and checking them out and, and wondering what they were doing because, hell, it might be a little bit of a slogan, but every day I seemed like I was fighting for my, my life and my career. I didn't have time to be looking in another direction and wondering what anybody else was doing. Let me ask you this, uh, Billy, about uh, because we judge catchers by a lot of things, and we, we judge them not only by how they throw and how they hit, uh, but also how they handle pitchers, uh, how they work with pitchers, how they frame pitches, that kind of thing. How did Pudge measure up in, in those areas for you? Well, I think early on, I think he had the reputation of putting a lot of number ones down and put tapping his right leg, which means fastball away to right-hand hitters because that gives you a nice little throwing lane uh, to second base. I think he did like that. I think over time, uh, I think that started uh, to go away a little bit, at least the, um, you know, the accusations that you know, he just wanted to put down fastball so he could get the ball quicker and throw out people because that's what he cared about. Um, I'm never so sure that as a receiver uh, in today's game, which I'm not so sure if this stat is 100% accurate either, uh, as well as a lot of some of these stats that are being fired about, but the frameability or the pitch framing metrics that are going on, um, I'm not so sure early on in Pudge's career they would have been very kind to him. Um, But with that said, blocking balls in the dirt, I thought he was extremely good at. And I would actually put, you know, blocking balls in the dirt, maybe number two behind, you know, receiving pitches and and working with a pitching staff. I'd put blocking balls in there. Um, Throwing would be down on the list number three uh, if you just had those three things to rank. But Pudge was real good at blocking balls in the dirt and keeping guys on the bases that they were supposed to be on. The other thing that helped him in there, as we've already talked about, no one was getting big secondary leads. Um, because they were afraid of getting picked off. So Pudge had a little bit of uh, advantage in that as far as blocking balls and keeping guys where they were. But I think over a period of time, Pudge became much better at the receiving end of it. I think he became much better at talking to the pitchers and handling it. And I think he stopped calling as many fastball aways to right-hand hitters with men on base uh, because he knew the, the overall scheme of things may have changed a little bit. But he, he was so good behind the plate. He really was, that he changed the game, and he changed, I think, the way people probably thought about catching. And the funny part about that game now, 
when I caught Pudge Brown at second base, and I thought he was about 1-8, you know, you'll talk to dads nowadays that have a catcher, and they say, yeah, my kid's 1-7 to second. And I go, no, he's not, um, because I know the guy that was 1-8, and no disrespect to you or your kid that's 16, he ain't throwing the second base better than Pudge. Right. It's just impossible, so stop it. Billy, we hey, we appreciate you taking some time and and, and addressing the topic with us today, and and, and want to remind again everybody that the uh, the announcement will be on MLB Network on uh, on Wednesday at five p.m. Central Time. Um, it's going to be very close on whether or not Pudge is the first ballot Hall of Famer, but uh, you've been a great help, and 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 thank you for joining us. Well, I, I'm sorry I, I straddled the fence a bit on you, but uh, that's just the way. <laughs> I don't know that you did, and and. And and we always know that you know you were the first guy to bring donuts in the clubhouse, so there were never any uh, there were never any steroid accusations there. All right, fellas, well, you have a good day. <laughs> Take care. See you, Billy. See you, Billy. Well, he, he, I was stunned when I asked that question, and because he'd been talking so positively about Pudge, uh, and, and he, he sounded like he was practically his campaign manager. I said, "So you'd vote for him, right?" And he goes, "Don't put words in my mouth." Right. You know, here's here's my here's my problem with and you know I had a vote in the Hall of Fame. I have rescinded my vote. I just become so political now. And part of the reason why I don't I don't want to vote anymore is just because of the steroids era. And and here's here's my problem with it. Everybody gets painted with the same brush. And and you could imagine what if you were a guy who did everything right and and you worked hard and you put up great numbers and you didn't do anything. And somebody says, no, I think you did. And so now you're not voting for this guy just because you think he didn't do it. You were screwing a guy who did everything right. I he, just have a big problem with that. Here, here's the way I would, I would tweak that just a little bit. And, and this is the thing that after casting my vote this year and probably being a little bit more lenient on the quote-unquote steroid guys than I have in the past, I voted for Bonds and Clemens this year where I haven't in the past. What it's made me now think about is not so much whether or not I want to penalize the steroid guys. Okay, but I want to make sure that the guys that as clear a conscience as I can have about what I know, what I saw, what I what I was around, that guys did things the right way, that they were clean. I want to make sure in the future that I weigh those numbers more heavily. And and where I'm going with this is in three years, Michael Young's going to be on the Hall of Fame ballot and I'm going to vote for him. And I'm going to get universally ridiculed for adding him on my ballot. But here's a guy who has over 2,500 hits, or right at 2,500 hits, played four different infield positions over the course of his career, was an impeccable leader in this clubhouse. Did he play for the Yankees? Did not play for oh, the Yankees. Oh, okay. Um, no, I, I'm serious. But he did, everyth- he did everything the right way, and he was a 300 career hitter in an era where, you know, it was all about, it was all about how many home runs you hit. And I want to make sure next year, do I look more closely at Fred McGriff than I did this year? Because maybe I have let his numbers kind of slide on the scale because I was weighing the steroid era guys too heavily. Uh, those are the things that I think we, we need to consider, making sure that you don't penalize, you don't penalize the guys who did this at, at, a, at a very clean, honest, in an honest way. 
We think they did anyway, right? And, that, and that's the problem. We think, we think, we think. You know, I've, I've had uh, I've had uh, fans say, "Oh, you guys should have written. You should guys you could tell by looking at these guys, and you, you should know." It's like, no, you can't tell by looking at them. Some guys, some guys look like they've been taking something. Gabe Kapler looked like a steroids guy, and he's the most natural guy on the planet. Yes, and I so, mean, so so I don't. It was just so hard to say. It's like like I said earlier about Rafi. He he was the last guy I would have suspected of using it. He just had such a sweet swing, and he's not a he wasn't a big guy. Uh, and he and you know we can talk about fast twitch and all the rest of that stuff. He's not the, his back going through the the plane is not going through at a hundred and fifty miles right. an hour. So uh, you know it just it's just so hard to say, and I think it's just so unfair to a guy. I I, I feel really sorry for guys in that era because because they're they're always going to be regarded that way and 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 it, even the, even if they did take stuff it's just there was so much pressure to do that when there's so many guys using and it's just like what do I do what do I do and and I I do think you know and I I want to just explain the Bonds Clemens vote this year and 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 in talking to a couple people who who thought that I should not have changed my mind and not have voted for Bonds and Clemens and we've both seen their percentages jump significantly this year. Uh, it was it was mentioned to me that you just it's not as raw to you anymore, and so you're you just don't have the same hardened feelings, and you're okay with it. I guess my perspective right now is in in, in this process. I think it's a it's an always evolving process. You uh, hopefully you consider everything a little bit more deeply than you did the year before. You get a little bit better at this every year. But neither of those guys, I, I think you can draw a hard line. And if you want to say, if you were suspended for steroid abuse, for steroid use, then in my mind, you are ineligible for the Hall of Fame. I think that's fair. I think if you want to say that. It's the same thing with the gambling deal. You didn't have to gamble all along. Pete Rose. You know, you know, we suspected he was gambling all right. along, but he got basically suspended from baseball for the one time. Right, but now Pete Rose, what Pete Rose, Pete Rose received a permanent ban from baseball, thus is ineligible for the Hall right. of Fame. Does not did not appear on the ballot. Does not appear on the ballot, and so therefore there's no decision to make. The Hall has given voters no direction on this. Did right. Did you vote for Pudge? Yes, I voted okay. for Pudge. Did you, Do you think you would get being more liberal now because Pudge is on the ballot and? And so you're getting more liberal on everybody. I, I I certainly think that in examining my vote, I've had to at least consider that possibility. And I can't can't say that that there wouldn't be any merit to that. Um, I never saw, you know, did he was he big at one point in time? Yes, he was big. Um, I like to point out something about that, though, too. I read something really interesting from an interview Tracy Ringlesby had with uh, Randy uh, Sandy Johnson. But oh, he, Sandy, Sandy Johnson. Johnson. But it was a, what, what Sandy, Sandy Johnson, who about, was the scouting director, who signed him, and Doug Gassaway when they when they was a scout who looked him. at him, and it was a, it was really fascinating. And he talked about it. He said that we're sitting around. He was he was talking to another player. Right. Sandy was in the dugout, and Doug Gassaway, the scout, comes running in from the outfield and says that that little kid, I just timed him. It throw ninety three mi- miles an hour to second. It goes up every day, every year. Well, I think it, this started out at 88, and well, now it's at 93. Well, it's at, he's at 93. And here's the thing. He's 16 years old, throwing flat-footed that, that to second base. So, to me, and he weighed 150, 160 pounds, they said. So, uh, or 160, 170 pounds. So, that, that tells you a lot right there, that that ability was always there. And so, it, it makes you, you know, if you're questioning – 
And of course, that's one of the, always the things about steroids that people would say, uh, oh, it made you into a great player. No, it doesn't make you into a great player. It, it makes you stronger. It makes a it great sharpens It makes some a good player better. Yes, it, it sharpens your skills. It makes you strong. It makes you able to work out more. It makes, it, you know, the re- your muscles respond quicker. It makes you stronger. Yes. And mostly it, it allows you to recover Cover. from workouts more yes. quickly so that you can max out your workouts, yes. thus making you stronger, thus making you. Um, more powerful. Yes. All those things. Right. And, but, I, but going back to the Barry Bonds, you know, Roger Clemens argument, to me, Barry Bonds was a three-time MVP before he even – he weighed like 190 pounds, whatever it was. But he was a real – The flip side of that argument guy. would be Pete Rose was a Hall of Famer before he gambled. Well, but as you pointed out, Pete Rose is no longer on the ballot. Yeah. Uh, Barry Bonds is. Right. If you're a three-time, there are very how many two-time MVPs are not in the Hall of Fame? Right. Roger Maris and and Juan uh, Juan Gonzalez, right? Dale Murphy and Dale Murphy. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. So that's it. And he's a three-time MVP. You know, any three-time MVP is in the Hall of Fame. Right. So that's that's to me. The, are we punishing? You know, are, are we punishing Barry Bonds, or are we just saying you cannot be in the Hall of Fame if you right. test, I, or, or if we suspected you of this? And every year I wrestle with it more and more, and I I appreciate your perspective that that you don't feel like you want to be involved. I still feel like it's it's a privilege to be asked to vote, and I do the best with what I can, weighing what I've got and and just trying to take everything into account. So Solomon Grant. That's right. He is. That's right. He is dividing these guys in two. Barry's ready for lunch. Yeah, yeah. Oh, because I've taken off my headset? Yes. You think I'm ready for lunch? Well, because you've also made the Zeke Elliott motion. I, and, yeah. I like that. And I'm, I'm also, t- I'm also tired of staring at Doug slouching. <laughs> Holy as, cow, we've done 51 minutes. Yes, I've so, been okay. trying to tell you that. So I'm going to sign off on this. Nobody in town talks more Rangers baseball than the Ballsy Podcast. So if wow. people want to get Rangers baseball... On a weekly basis, nobody talks more Rangers baseball than the three of us and the guests that we have. Get us on iTunes. You'll find all the information on the outro. We're going to let Doug out of here. He feels like he's been held prisoner now for almost two hours. He likes us. It's called the Stockholm Syndrome. So long, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Rangers Ballsy Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans, see ya.